0: These last months, we have been on a journey together through the book of James, and today we finished that journey. And throughout the book of James, as pastor has preached and I have preached, we have called you to action because James has called us to action in many different areas. He's he's called us to action in the area of dealing with pride that might be in our hearts. He has called us to action in our speech to make sure that our speech is not sinful. He's called us in action to uh, be concerned about others. He's, he's called us to action to move away from worldliness. He's called us to action to, to, get to, to get along with one another and to not be quarreling. He's talked about arrogance. He's talked about disobedience. And so he ends this book with two verses that call us to action. He calls us here to be our brother's keepers. And I think if there's anything that's hard to do in the church today, and it's hard to do amongst ourselves, it's probably to really live out these two verses. And so this morning, we're going to call you to action as individuals and as a church, and what God expects from us when a brother or sister wanders away from God. And so, again, let me read that text to you and then let us look at it. It says, My brothers, if any among you wanders or strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins. A call to be my brother's keeper. The first thing we want to look at this morning is the possibility of apostasy. Look at that word there that he uses here. He says, my brothers, if any among you wander or stray. That word wonder is a very interesting word. It is the same word that we get the word planted from, planet. And so when you go out and you look up in the sky and you see planet, they are sort of wandering in the sky. We know that everything is moving, and so those planets are wandering Uh, in the sky, and he's saying that's what it's like. It's like a brother who has wandered away. He has wandered away from the truth. James sees the potential for some of us to be cut loose from the church and to wander out here by ourselves, living in sin, living away from God. And he says when you see a brother who is wandering, he is going to give us some instruction of what we are to do. And I want you to see what he's wandered from. He said he has wandered from the truth." The word "apostasy or truth" is used in an interesting way here, and actually it's used in two ways. It means he's wandered. he could have wandered away from doctrinal truth. In other words, no longer does he take the steadfastness of God's word and look at it and, and divide it in the right way, but he is living a wrong truth. He is going a wrong direction with his truth. And he says, that brother who has chosen to take the truth of God's word and go a wrong direction with it and live in apostasy, then we're to to confront them, to try to bring them back. This word for truth also means wandering in lifestyle. So there's two meanings here. If we see a brother who's moved away from the truth of what God's word says into apostasy, maybe they've gone into believing of a work salvation, then we're to confront them. But also, if you have a brother who has chosen to wonder by his lifestyle not being right, then we are also to confront that brother. James and the Hebrews and the Hebrew people and their writings never sec- separated intellect and behavior. They never separated the two. Truth is something people do, or truth is something people did. Let me, let me give you a verse to set, back that up, John 3, 21. But whoever lives by the truth comes into light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And so he says, you can't separate the intellect and behavior. They work together. Apostasy could be discerned in two ways doctrinal aberration, doctrinal aberration, or moral deviation. Moral deviation. So they have, they have walked away from the true meaning of Scripture or they have walked away from living what Scripture says. And they are out there wondering in sin now, wondering in sin. Sin, I always thought this, sin will affect your doctrine and doctrine will affect you or cause you to sin. So sin will affect your doctrine or your doctrine will cause you to sin. Um, Many in the church today change what they believe to accommodate their wrong behavior. And I've seen people who are not living for God and not living right, and they take God's word and try to say, what I'm doing is okay. My actions are okay, but they're misusing God's word. And the second thing is many in the church take up false doctrine that leads to wrong thinking and actions. They'll take God's word and divide it wrongly, and that will cause them to act wrongly so we have to do what scripture says he commands us if we see this brother who is wandering in either their doctrine or wandering in the way or a living that we have a job to do he calls us to action and I call it the blessing of restoration The blessing of restoration. And these two verses give us some specific things along with some other texts that we're going to be looking at here this morning. James' great concern is just not that we are able to discern apostasy, but that we do something about it. It's not just that we can point it out and say, wow, look at that brother. They're living in sin, or look at that brother. They have chosen to go uh, to take up a different doctrine, and we, and we just stand back and look. No, he calls us into action, and I think this is where it becomes hard for us sometimes. But God calls us to do this. And so the first thing he says, I want you to look at it there, he says what? And someone turns him back or brings him back. It literally means to turn him around. And, and here, I think one of the great portions of Scripture, and I'm not asking you to turn there, we'll be there eventually anyway this morning, but in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is talking about here, he, he's the great shepherd and he has a hundred sheep. And he says, one sheep wanders away. Again, the same word is used there. He's out there wandering by himself. And what does he do? He leaves the ninety-nine and he goes and he chases after that one person who's walked away. And he and he brings that sheep back. He restores them. And listen, we are just like sheep. We so easily wander away into our own lifestyle, into the lifestyle of this world. And Jesus, listen, just like Jesus left the hundred to go and get the one, we need to be about the business of restoring those who've walked away from God. We can't leave them out there wandering on their own. We must seek after them is what he's saying. We must chase after them. And he says, go with the point to bring them repentance. Go with the the desire to turn them back, to bring them back. That's why We exist as a church to call the sinner to Christ, not only the sinner who doesn't know Christ, but the sinner who is a Christian and yet is living in sin. He's calling us to do that. He's saying, listen, go out. And then it's interesting what he says here. He says, I need you to go. I need you to chase after them. Bring them back. Turn them back to me. And he says, let, let him know that whosoever turns a sinner from error of his way will save his life. Certainly, when we go out and we share the gospel with someone and they make a profession of faith, we have saved their life. But I think he's talking about Christians here who have wandered from God more so. And, and so he says here, T- take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is a, a portion that deals with the Lord's Supper and that we'll be partaking of in just a few moments this morning. And look what God calls us to do as we will be going to the Lord's Supper this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 27. He says, Therefore, whosoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin... Against the body and the blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself in this way he should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whosoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body and eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and some have fallen asleep or they have died. So what is he saying here? He said, listen, as you come to partake of the elements that remind us of the broken body of Christ and his shed blood, as you come to partake of that this morning, you are called to examine yourself. It's not the time for you to examine someone else. This is the time to examine your own heart. It's not the time for a husband to sit there and examine his wife or a wife to sit there and examine or or you to examine the person and say, no, this is for you to look at where you are with God. And, And if there's anything that is not right, then you need to confess that. In fact, you'd be better this morning if you have aught against a brother or sister when the elements go by just to let them go by and not take of them. You'd be better to do that rather than to take of them and bring, as Scripture says here, sickness or even death to yourself. And so what he's saying is there have been those in the church who come to a communion table, who are living in outright sin and partake of the element with a heart that is unworthy to take of those things because it's the exact thing Christ has died for, our sin, but yet in a sense you partake of it. And you can can get sick or you can even come to the point of death because you have not dealt with sin in your life. Now let me clear it up here, not just because somebody is sick doesn't mean that they have sin in their life. I think Pastor John dealt with that already, but I want to remind you of that. Sometimes we look at somebody and say, oh, they're sick, they must, you know, what kind of sin? It's like with Job when his uh, fellow brothers showed up and looked at him for all that time and then finally said, okay, Job, if you're having all these problems, it means you have sickness. No, it's not that at all. But if you have sin in your life and you don't deal with it, then you're taking this cup and this wafer unworthily, is what he's saying here. And he says, listen, when you confront a brother over their sin, you can save them from sickness. You can save them from death because you could help them to bring them back, to turn them from that sin. And then, the, and then probably just this phenomenal, this, back, to that, back to the book of James, Go back there, and these words that James writes to us are just phenomenal words that he gives us here to, to end this with. He says, Let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his life from death and covers a multitude of sin. Covers a multitude of sin. Covering sin here signifies forgiveness. Covering signifies forgiveness. In other words, I've brought that brother back and I have forgiven them for that sin that they have committed, and we're willing to restore them because this is all about restoration. It's all about restoring a brother. And then the multitude, it's not just sin, it's what? A multitude of sin indicates the extent of forgiveness. This person could have committed great sins against you or against the church, against God's people. And he said, when we restore them, we're covering those sins up. God, listen, God has called us to forgive those who offend us. He's called us, forgiveness is treating someone the same after they've offended you as before they offended you in the area that they offended you in. That's what God calls us to do, to forgive, to cover up that sin. And listen, when you think of this word, the extent, this multitude of sin, When I think of my own life and I look at my own life and I think about the sin that I committed before salvation and the sin that I have committed since salvation, it is a multitude of sin. It's a multitude of sin. And God is willing in His greatness to cover it. I saw this verse lived out in two instances this week, and I can't go into detail, but it it was amazing as I watched people cover a multitude of sin with forgiveness. I'm talking about a multitude of sin. And I watched these two people, and I sat in front of them, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I knew the atrocities that were committed against both these people, and yet they were willing to say, I am willing to cover it over. A multitude of sin, he says here. He's willing to cover it over to wrap it up. And you know, the great thing is, listen, the great thing is Jesus just doesn't cover our sin like he did in the Old Testament. He takes our sin and yes, he wraps it up and he what? Puts it away as far as the east is from the west. It is gone. It is like I never committed it. And listen to me, every one of us, every one of us are sinners and every one of us still sin today. And because of the great, great of God. He takes our sin, and he forgives us, and he wipes them away. It's what he does for us. And yet, we sit here, and we're not willing to do the same for each other. And he says this is what he calls us to do. He calls us to action here in these two verses. To cover how do, we, how do we flesh this out this morning? How do we live this out as a church and as individuals? And I'm going to give you five quick steps here this morning to, to do this. The first, uh, called the ministry of restoration fleshed out. And so here's number one, is simply love. The church must engage in love instead of rejecting the wandering soul. Sometimes we look at people who are wandering away from God, and we so quickly can judge them. Listen, God is the only one who's called to judge. We have to confront sin, and we're going to see in a moment, God does call us to deal with them. We're going to see how we do that. But listen, one something that a person who's wandered away, one thing they need is love. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from the past, wrote these words, I, I came across them this week, and I thought, these are phenomenal words. Spurgeon understood what it meant to see a brother or sister wander away from God and how we need to treat them with love. Listen to these words. He said, I have known a person who has erred to be hunted down like a wolf. He was wrong to some degree. But that wrong has been aggravated and dwelt upon till the man has been worried into defiance. The fault has been exaggerated into a double wrong by ferocious attacks upon him. The manhood of the man has taken sides with his error because he has been so severely handled. The man has been compelled, sinfully I admit, to take up an extreme position And to go further into mischief because he could not brook to be denounced instead of being reasoned with. And when a man has been blameworthy in his life, it will often happen that his fault has been ablazed abroad, retailed from mouth to mouth, and magnified until the poor erring one has felt degraded and having lost all self-respect, has given way to far more dreadful sins. The object of some professors seems to be to amputate the limb rather than to heal it. This is about restoration. This is about healing. Listen, God has called us to the ministry of restoration. God has called us to the ministry of healing to cover over sin. As it says in Proverbs 10, chapter 12, love covers a multitude of sins." relationships through which our love cares and maintains a relationship through which the grace of God is pleased to move. That's what it's about. It's about chasing after that person and let them know that we love them and we care for them and become that vehicle through which God can show His grace and use grace. Love. The second is the word integrity. Integrity. It's the word integrity. We must possess what we want that wandering brother to have. It says in Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if someone is called in a sin, you who are spiritual, you who are what? Spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves or you also be tempted. Sometimes we're so easy to quick and judge people and say, Well, uh, you know, look at them. Listen, but by the grace of God, any of us can be there. But by the grace of God, any of us can be there in a moment. And so he's calling us here. He's calling us to make sure that our life is one of integrity. Integrity of heart, of authenticity of one's soul is seen in the eyes and heard in the tone of voice. Restorers must be spiritual people. Restorers must be people who are concerned about bringing that person back you know it's interesting when i when i was thinking about this thing of integrity how do how, do we expect obedience from our children do we yeah we do and we and, and when do we expect that obedience now right is that right is that not right okay we expect it now but you know it, it's funny how sometimes You know, we have somebody who's out there wondering sin and we want to confront them or we want to bring them back, but we're not willing to deal with our own sin first. And Scripture says what? Deal with the what? Deal with the pole in your eye before you deal with the toothpick in somebody else's. And so he's he's saying here, listen, integrity. Make sure that you're right with God. The third is prayer prayer the apostle john near the end of his first pastoral letter says if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death he should pray and god will give him life first john five sixteen. we must pray for the erring one sadly so often instead of our words going up to god they go out to others and gossip oh did you hear about so and so did you hear what they did God say, "No, listen. It's about prayer. It's about prayer. Our prayers ought to be specific, detailed, regular, and passionate." As James said, John, Pastor John preached about this. The prayer of the righteous man, what? It's powerful. It's effective. It availeth much. Scripture says, and so we need to be praying for that brother who is out there wondering. I think one of the greatest books to me that calls us to do this type of thing is the book of Hosea, where Hosea has taken to himself a wife, and it's a picture of the, really it's a picture of Israel and God, and how Israel had been the adulterer and outliving a, an adulterous life and from God. And so God says, here's an illustration, here's, here's the prophet Hosea, and he has to take this wife to him who's a prostitute, Gomer. And he takes her. And God says, I want you to keep chasing after her, chasing after her. And, and Hosea, it says he takes her away for a weekend into the desert. It says he woos her into the desert. And he has this, he tries to tell her, listen, please turn away from your prostitution. And so then all of a sudden, you find in the book of Hosea, you find in him pl- praying this hedge of protection around her, praying that her, her lovers would be turned away from her. They would be repelled by her. And we see God answer that prayer. And all of a sudden, she's a prostitute without business means she has no money and the next thing she's a she's down on the trading block in the middle of town and here that's his wife being sold as a slave in the middle of town and God comes to him and says Hosea I want you to go down in the middle of town in front of all those people and I want you to buy back your own wife can you imagine what Hosea must have thought remember he's a man just like you and I and a man just like we are to go down and be humiliated she's my wife and now you want me to pay a price for her Oh, listen to me, that's what God did for us. We're out so often prostituting with the world, and yet he paid this phenomenal price for us, the price of his shed blood and his broken body. And he says, listen, this is what we need to be doing for others also. Prayer. He prayed that hedge of protection around her. The next is confrontation. The call to confront. Take your Bibles and... uh, Go with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to end there. Matthew chapter 18. Confrontation. He says you're to go. You're to go and confront that brother or sister who is living in sin. Confrontation, the call to confront the sinner. We're going to see it here in in Matthew, but we also find it back in uh, the book of Ezekiel. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil evil ways in order to save his life. The wicked man will die for his sin, and and you will be held accountable for his blood. Paul told the church of Thessalonica... He said, "He says, there's a disobedient brother there, and you need to warn him. In 2 Thessalonians 3.15, in Ephesians, he gave his own personal example. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. There's times when we need to get up off our knees from prayer and go and confront that person. Confront them. I remember myself and an elder going to a hotel in Belmar, New Jersey, knowing that one of our ladies from our church was there with a man committing adultery. And I remember having to knock on that door and remember her coming to the door and us having to confront her and how hard and how difficult that was. And we had prayed for her and prayed for her and nothing was happening. So now it was the time for confrontation. And then it was the time for us to do what you're going to see here and what I'm going to walk you through very quickly here in Matthew um, chapter 18. The time for discipline. This is always the last resort and there's the process that we see here. He says, if your brother, Matthew chapter 18 verse 15, if your brother... So I want you to see, this is about relationships. Sin always breaks relationships. God is in the business of restoring relationships, and we as brothers and sisters need to be in the same business that God is in, the the business of restoration. He says, if your brother sins against you, so there's an imperfection in your brother, he sins against you, you go and rebuke him privately. So the very first thing, when you find someone in sin, you don't get somebody else and go to them. What do you do? You approach them. Hey, listen, I'm here. I love you. I love you. And because of that, love always does what's best. So you go and you confront them about their sin. This is a hard thing to do. We so often just want to let it go. But listen, we are to go and we're to confront that when we see something in our brother or sister's life. And so you confront them. There's this confrontation that takes place. And so you confront them, and he says, if he listens to you, you have won your brother. You've restored them. You've restored the one who's wandered. But if he won't listen, take one or two more with you. So that by the testimony of the two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. Now let me, what's it saying? So I have a brother who's in sin. I go to them. They will not repent. The next thing I do is I go and take a witness. This witness is not witness to the fact that they've lived in sin. This witness is there for the fact of seeing their response to your confronting. doesn't mean that person you're bringing has seen them sin. That person you're bringing there is to witness what their response is. So as we went and we had been praying for this sister in Christ and I had confronted her personally, now I took this man with me to confront her. And again, she had a very belligerent attitude towards me, towards him, towards God, towards the church. She didn't want anything to do with the church. And so that's the the next step is to take that witness. and, And that elder, he witnessed her belligerence, her continuing of wandering and her disobedience. And he says, if he pays no attention to them, then look at the next step. This is the important step, and it's the step so often that we're overlooked. He says, tell it to the church. And so often I've seen churches, you tell it to the church and they right then they church discipline the person and they miss an important step here. When you tell it to the church, it now becomes not just the two of us who've witnessed it, it becomes the church's responsibility now to confront that person. In fact, the Bible tells us if you go to the book of Galatians that we're not even to eat, to sit down and eat a meal with a brother or sister who will not turn from their sin. That's what it says. And so, here it is. We told the church. We said, listen, here's what our dear sister is involved in, and we need to love her. And I know that many of you have been loving her, and many of you have been talking with her and trying to get her to turn. But it is time now for the church to take up the confrontation. And so I called upon the church to write letters to email her, to phone her and say, you are living in sin, we love you. And if we don't tell you this, we don't love you. We want you, to, we want you to repent, we want to restore you. Will you do that? And I'll never forget the call that came to my office when my secretary said, Pastor Dick, it's, it's so-and-so, and I picked up the phone and this was her exact words. I can't take it anymore, Pastor, call off the dogs. That's what she said to me. Call off the dogs. I want to come see you. I want to repent of my sin. And within an hour, she was in my office weeping and broken over her sin. Why? Because the church, before they got to that point of casting her out, what did they do? The whole church as a body loved her and confronted her and went after her. That's what we're called to do. This is probably one of the hardest things as a church we're called to do. But God says this is what we're supposed to do. We are to confront them. And then if they still don't listen, praise God she listened. I've had other situations where they still don't listen. And he says what? He says then, if they pay no attention, then tell it to the church. But if, they, if he doesn't pay attention with the church confronts them even to the church let him be like an unbeliever and tax collector to you so what do you do you vote them out of the church why because the church is protection and it says in galatians that you're putting them out of the church that their body might be destroyed but in the end time they what their soul will still be saved so here's this put of putting them out from the church. And listen, we've I've seen that happen. I've watched as we put someone out of the church and I watched as one year later we were in the middle of a life action crusade and God was doing miracles in our church. He was working unbelievable. And all of a sudden this person that we, we had disciplined a year later walked into my office and said, Pastor, I don't know why. I don't know why, but I'm here today to admit my sin and to stand before the church and tell you that we were wrong that very night in the middle of our life action revival that person stood up before the church and asked forgiveness and for the next hour people poured down the aisle and loved them and forgave them and hugged on them why because i believe we did what was hard and we did what was biblical and we did what was right that's what god calls us to do church confront, work through the process that he's given us to move towards what? Restoration. It's always about restoration. We need a commitment to the process of spiritual restoration. Love and integrity and prayer and confrontation and discipline says one thing. It says, we love you. We love you. Whoever turns a sinner away from their error will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. May we live redemptive lives. May we live redemptive lives restoring wandering souls to Christ. That's why we're here, church. We're here for the ministry of restoration let's not forget this important ministry that God's called us to